The other thing that's gotten Carly all fired up is a Chinese social media app called Pinduoduo. China is eating our effing lunch. And this is just another example of On that. On this so, or in life? In life, and this okay, is this is a this, this is okay. a microcosm example of why, in my opinion. So within this app is a game. It's called like Orchard, the Pinduoduo Orchard. And you like tend to this garden, you tend, you like grow your fruit. It's like, a, you know, whatever, one of these kinds of games. But at certain levels, you get then free deliveries. They'll just send you a free box of fruit. So you actually win real prizes off of the app from playing this game. So like, you know, it just, it consolidates like everything you want to do in a place where you also shop. So they just are, are you know, they're giving you every incentive to shop and spend more money. And it's it's fascinating. Welcome back to Yang Speaks, everybody. Guys, great news. Back by popular demand, we're doing an episode with the one and only Carly Riley. Uh, For those of you who maybe missed her prior episodes, she was our former finance director. um, And we've had episodes with her on talking about crypto, talking about e-commerce, talking about the future of a whole bunch of things. And we're talking about... Basically, I just want her takes on where the world's going. Uh, but we talk about something called a gift goat, which you're gonna have to tune in the episode to figure out what the heck that is. Plus some news of the day. It's Carly. It's gonna be full of energy. You're gonna love this episode. Um, so don't miss it. What the heck is a gift goat? What the heck is Carly Riley up to? Tune in right now. Yank speaks. All right. All right. Welcome back, everybody, to Yank Speaks. I made a decision, and it was a decision based on feedback from pretty much everybody else. So it's not like I, on a whim. But it's, just, um, but it's somewhat of a gut call, because some of my decision data points here have been anecdotal. But the decision is to just keep bringing back Carly, Carly Riley, who has been... It's called a recurring guest of this show and an amazing woman. And every and the reason is it because every time she comes on, everyone generally likes seeing her and hearing her takes. But the other thing is she's like been right a lot and is, are, has been pointing out things or asking types of questions that seem to keep coming true. Um, if we recall, Carly has predicted, we did early 2021 predictions and two of your three have like gotten hot, let's say. One's 100% true. Wall Street Bets and uh, Robin Hood. Carly Riley, welcome back. Thank you so much. Love being here. So we've been doing this series on the future of every Thursday. And you're not a particular expert on the future, although everybody I've brought on so far has always been very clear to say, like, Zach, I'm not an expert on the future. Almost every single, even the rocket scientists we brought on, uh, <laughs> Mikael said, like, I'm not an expert in the future. Please don't quote me on that. So I won't, it's not fair to call you that, but I wanted to 
talk about a number of things with you, Carly, today. Um, and really, I just like getting Carly's takes on a bunch of things, and I know our audience does too. So let's, let's do this. Um, Carly, before we dive in, can you give us a little bit on your background? Like, I know it very well, and I think a lot of people who um, maybe follow the Yang presidential campaign um, knew your background. You were our finance director, like once we were big enough for people to care about who our finance director was. But I think you had every role on that campaign at some point, um, which is why I've always thought you're a superstar. Um, not thought, no. Um, so t tell us about you a little bit. Oh boy. All right. Sure. So um, yeah, I think my, my claim to fame is my work on Yang's presidential campaign. Uh, as you said, I was our finance director for the last year or so of that campaign. So just strictly focused on fundraising. But uh, prior to being our finance director, I did a, a whole lot of whatever needed to be done. Uh, I joined the team really <laughs> early on, as you certainly know. And so, uh, fifth employee was, uh, or so. It, yeah, it was an adventure in, uh, in just like, you know, nobody cares about us yet, but what we'll can someday. we do? Yeah, maybe they will someday. So let's do everything we can now to set ourselves <laughs> up for that moment. Um, but my journey to Yang was, I think, interesting as I think a lot of people's journeys to Yang were, uh, when I graduated from college where I, I did a lot of fundraising actually in college, um, as, as work to, to get paid while I was in school. I then, I went and worked at a hedge fund. Um, and so had a bit of that finance experience there, you know, did not want to stay in finance. Uh, I think like you recovering wall street executive, I think I put on my LinkedIn profile. Oh, recovering. Yeah. Yeah. Recovering yeah. Recovering wall street, bro. In my, in my like call it spare time, because I was not particularly happy in my day job. I started a show on Vermont cable access television called once upon a political time. It has all been taken. I want to put clips up. It's all, they oh, taken all down. I, well, I, I'll, I'll tell you on the side. Well, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll debate this up, privately. It was available when she was interviewing guys and it was like Carly, on this local access TV show, like <laughs> ranting daily show, John Stewart style about a whole shit ton of issues. The premise of the show was that I would look at the history of different political issues to better understand where we are with those issues today, like contextualize them. What's an example of, of a topic? Um, welfare actually is the one that led me to UBI. Um, which is which is relevant here. But I did government surveillance. Like I actually ended up going to DC and interviewing an NSA whistleblower. And that was the one that that freaked out my employers. They were like, oh, if you're going to keep doing this thing, I feel like you shouldn't work here. <laughs> I then transitioned into like call it political media, was working at a production company because again, the hedge fund I worked at was like, yo, you can't keep doing this show and working here. So I chose the side project. And I decided to try and make some money from it. And so I, I went and joined a production company that worked on like documentaries and sort of political media stuff. And while I was there, I heard Andrew Yang on the Sam Harris podcast in June Ayo. of 2018. Ayo! And I'd been like a Sam Harris fan for like, you know, five or six years at that point, which was kind of a long time as a like 20 whatever year old to, to be a Sam Harris fan. Um, and was just like, oh, hell yeah. And I was already a UBI fan because I'd done this history of welfare episode that had really illuminated to me like, oh shit, like our, we don't give out like just cash anymore to people. Like our welfare system is all in-kind benefits. It's food stamps. It's, you know, welfare originally started out as money. Like you just, it's it, the first, the first mm. welfare program in the United States was giving cash to widows of veterans. So we gave cash? white women, we gave white women money 
because their husbands had died and we didn't expect them to work because their husbands had died in it was World racist War I, and it was and like, sexist oh, it was so racist yeah black people didn't get it I was going to say we um, should have added just, that as a talking point on the presidential campaign minus the fact that it was racist and sexist but like we've been doing we started cash give outs yeah. Like cash was what it was. DNA. Cash was what yeah. it was. And then we started in the 60s. We added on other programs. And then in the 90s under Clinton was when we cut a lot of cash because we gave more powers to the states to decide like welfare systems. And anyhow, so I, I was just it became it felt very clear to me after learning about that history that one of the biggest problems right now was just a freaking lack of cash for people. And so I, I got into UBI. And then, so I heard Andrew on Sam Harris's podcast, however many months later, and was like, oh, this is fascinating. And I I was like, I, I looked him up. I saw he was doing an event on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. I was like, okay, I'm in. At a bar called The, the skinny, skinny Bar. The Skinny, the skinny bar. bar. Yep. That's where I met Carly Riley. Correct. She came, I was like, hey, I want to work here. No, 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 no. I came, <laughs> I came, you know, smooth, suave, casual. Smooth and suave. Like, hmm, okay. Interesting. Yeah. The words that are typically used to describe me. Yeah. Um, no. So I showed up to this, this not event. Force and, of nature, tenacious, running uh, up as fast, high, high energy. So yeah. So then showed up to this event, this bar, heard Andrew speak and was like, like just left, just like, Oh my god! I like I'm like kind of like I'm going to work on this campaign. Like it just felt very cosmic to me, which I think a lot of us in the early days felt about his campaign. Um, but I, I was still fairly new to the job I'd just taken at the production company, and it felt like fairly irresponsible to just like quit on the spot to go work for this like no name dude who like had this like crazy long shot you know campaign aspiration. And you were uh, you were still just like a couple years out of college, right? Yeah, like I was. 20, yeah, I was twenty four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I, I so there's I almost, no like track record of career like yeah, you're yeah. still gam you're gambling consistently with like the like I always thought like when you if you get out of college or your first job sometimes you want like that blue chip company on the resume to yeah. show people that I'm employable like you know um, yeah I think that's changed a bit but when I was graduating that was like my goal and I think that was like a common theme you haven't yeah. even done that you're just like no I'm you, Carly you I have ideas. <laughs> You are a much more calculated career person than I've ever been. I have That's because I have to make up for my lack of intelligence. <laughs> this podcast is sponsored by Helix Sleep. I've always been a mattress guy because I figured if I'm going to do something for up to eight hours, maybe I should do it right. And Helix Sleep lets you do it right by sending you one of 20 unique mattresses that's tailored for you. I took the Helix Sleep Quiz, takes only a couple minutes, and I was matched with a Helix Dawn mattress because I wanted something that felt firm and I sleep on my back. That mattress is exactly what I needed, but strangely enough, my kids now seek out that mattress in the house and want to sleep on it even though I did not order it with them in mind. If you have a high quality mattress, it is a game changer, a huge difference maker. Don't take my word for it. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It is even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com yang. That's helixsleep.com slash yang. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now.
there's a whole second part to this, which I was actually writing a screenplay about like a woman who worked at a think tank who was researching UBI. And so like ah. my underlying motivation here was like, oh, maybe I'll get Andrew to read my screenplay. But I went to this event was like, oh, shit, no, like I want to work for this campaign. Did you want to work for this campaign because you thought we needed help? Um, <laughs> no, I was not. Like, we did. We did need a lot of help. You did need a lot of help. No, I, this I was, was a crowded event. Though. It was one of our first legitimate it was post Sam Harris. We finally like yeah. Yang had a crowd and I was like, maybe this is something like maybe yeah. we did something. Yeah, right we had, yeah. 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 Um, no, but I left the event, went for like a 12 mile run. Cause I was so like jacked up and just like hyped. And I was like, well, this is going to be like my next move. Um, just very clear on that for whatever reason, you guys had no job postings up. Um, and I was like, give it a little time though. Don't be, don't be like, you know, impulsive. we barely had a website. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. To um, find this skinny bar event, like, took digging. Like, I just yeah, phrased yeah. it as if, like, yeah. oh, I just pulled it up online. Like, no, I was like, we, where is he having an event? And I like used, had to like dig and invite Eventbrite. You used we Eventbrite. used Eventbrite at the yeah. time, and we did. We continued using it because it was a way easier event platform than what Democrats use, which is typically Act Blue, because um, that feeds into like the voter file and other things. Well, they um, use um, a lot of them use Mobilize, uh, right? Mobilize America. Yeah. yeah, but it was like they all those all connect to like democratic platforms and Eventbrite uh, does not. It's not even close. It's not meant for that. But yeah. it has like very simple like it's a great app and people are used to it. It's very easy to track RSVPs. So we're using that. Um, let me a quick story. Funny story about Sam Harris though. I never heard. I'm in charge of this campaign. It's early. I never heard of Sam Harris. I didn't know what the hell that is. I like never listened to a pod. I, the only part podcast I listen to. Shout out my uh, guys at Part of My Take. Sam Harris. Emails are like inbox, I believe. Um, which, and Andrew Frawley on the campaign was like, oh my gosh, Sam Harris just emailed us. I was like, that's know, a good that? Frawley impression. That's like, how he sounds. This is so big. This is so big. And I'm like, okay. So then I did some research. Like, actually, this is a big deal. And I remember, so Andrew at the time was like, the stump speech was, I'm going to give it a hit or miss sort of situation. He had written this book, so he knew his stuff backwards and forward. So like when people got to talk to him, they, they really liked him. But it was not presidential. It was more like a TED talk. And uh, he didn't really prepare. He didn't have to. He always knew his stuff. But he wasn't like preparing me a politician. And I remember like grabbing him. It was my first time as like campaign manager, like grabbing him by the collar and directing him to do something. I grabbed him by the collar. I'm like, dude, I don't care what you do. But you are preparing for this like you're studying for a test. You're gonna, you're going to take, you're gonna question. Yeah, I was this like, one. yeah, I didn't study for tests either, so yeah, I'm gonna I'm need like, a better care, example. I'm gonna need to a prepare. different analogy. <laughs> and he came in that day because Sam Harris did remote. He did it in um, in the office. And he came in that day with like a little shit eating grin, and he was like, "Is that prepare for this one?" And if you listen to him on Sam Harris, he's really tight. He's really direct. It's awesome. And the only other time, um, so that and Joe Rogan is what we really, really prepped for, uh, like getting the right headspace, like get ready to rock. I mean, obviously debates and stuff like that. That was funny to me when I got, got to meet you all and you were like, yeah, I don't know anything about, you know, Sam and these people. And I was like, Oh boy. Um, no. So, so yeah. So, the interview. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Oh, Oh, I did. Yeah. No. That was, <laughs> You're like, have you read this on UBI? Have you read this on UBI? I was like, oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I don't even remember where I was in my origin story here, but bottom line is obviously, you know, the ending, I ultimately, well, before, you know, before I quit my job, I, I emailed Zach, I had gotten Zach's your, I got your card at the event and was like, yo, I have these experiences and I really want to work for you guys. Would you get on a phone call with me? So and we had budget to hire one person. 
and that person needed to be a videographer because <laughs> and you needed. got me and, um, you were <laughs> like I was like can story. you do video I was like can you do video and you're like yeah I, I mean, I've done my show I can do some videoing and like the short answer is you can't. Like you could, no. I guess, if you really wanted to be, but the reality is you can't yeah. video. Yeah, no, I can't. You're not a video person. No, th this is a good story. This is a good story. So um, yeah, so you say, okay, yeah, like actually good timing, you know, we're looking to hire somebody. And I was also, I should say, like I was so cosmically sure that like this was all going to go down and that I was going to get this job that I waited, like I waited two weeks. I read the war on normal people. Then I emailed you and you waited like a couple weeks before you got back to me. Really? And I would, yeah, or at I least a week. you a little bit? Yeah, uh, you know, I don't look desperate. Playing hard to get, you know. Yeah, whatever. Um, and, you know, you guys were busy with stuff, and I think you were debating if That's you needed it. to hire, etc. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think anyways, the CEO of LinkedIn says like, if I don't respond to your email, like Jeff, what's his name? I can't remember his name. On top. His name's Jeff, um, and he said if I don't respond to an email in twenty minutes, you need to email me again because it's not going to do it. Yeah, you're um, not going to. That's it. not how well, I operate. Uh, nor am I as cool as the CEO of LinkedIn, but. Well, anyway, regardless, I was we'll on the pretend. phone with a friend like a week and a half later or something and was like, you know, I really want to work for this campaign. I sent this email off to them. They haven't gotten back to me, like, but like, fear not, I will just continue to harass them. And I hung up on that phone call and I had this, like, I was like, no, I've heard back. Like I had this instinct to check my email right then. And like, lo and behold, like 20 minutes prior, you had emailed me. And then I like skipped down Hudson Street, which is where I was when I got that email being like, oh my God, it's all happening. Anyways, we get, we get on a phone call. It becomes clear that you need a videographer. I'm like, eh, I kind of know how to work Final Cut Pro, but like, and very cognizant of the fact that like, I can't like produce video quickly or animations. Like I can do very limited video, but so, and, and you're like, and it doesn't, you're like, you're playing it cool. You're like, okay, we need a videographer, but you know, maybe we can find another role. Like, yeah, da -da -da -da. we liked you. Yeah, you had. Yeah, yeah. yeah so you, you were going to California for like a week or something. And then you said, let's get, let's, I'll get back in touch with you basically when I'm back from California. So I was like, cool. In that time, while you're in California, the campaign begging yeah, people for money. Yeah, begging the campaign posts a job posting on the campaign Instagram account for a video person, and yep. I felt like I had been cheated on. Like I literally, <laughs> my heart and stomach dropped. Like I just found my yeah, boyfriend, were, like making out person. with some other woman. I was like. We had this great conversation. <laughs> it seemed to go really well. Oh, Clearly awesome. you need me. What the hell is going on here? So, and I go into panic mode. I'm like, oh, okay. They need a freaking videographer. Well, challenge accepted. And I like, I like dropped everything. I like, you know, was working at the, I like was like, I'm going to learn how to like do like Adobe Premiere. And so I like download the free trial version and I'm like putting together like an animation that shows the difference between labor force participation rates and like unemployment rates, which like in the That's end, that was not- needed. We kind of, except for like, dude, that was way too nerdy for a presidential campaign. Anyway, Maybe, yeah. So regardless, well, we the thing is like, type of thing. Yeah. I spent an entire weekend. It was like my roommate, like one of my best friend's birthday weekends. And I was like, okay, Sarah, I'm going out. But like, I can't get too drunk. Cause like, I gotta be back at this thing tomorrow. Like this is like the Saturday night, Sunday spent all day, Monday, get up, like go to work, have an email from Zach, you being like, Hey, like back in California. So yeah, I think we might have a, like a good role for you. That's a combination of like ops and like marketing. Like, do you want to come in this week? Like nothing about videography. Like clearly I completely overreacted. And I just like stumbled like back home that night and was like, they don't need me to do videos. Like they may have a different <laughs> role for me. Like <laughs> I didn't need to do any of this. I don't know if I heard that full story from you before. Um, <laughs> yeah. What happened during that time and there's a good story of Andrew and like kind of how he leads, but not always like Andrew, I've always found to be very, very instinctual um, as, as logical as he is. He has a very good gut feel. Um, I like to pride myself on that too, but he's very good at it. And uh, he goes, you know, we're looking at, we found another videographer at the time and 
but we all really liked you. Um, and so well, we only had money to hire one. We didn't really have money to hire one, frankly. We had you know, <laughs> nothing. Um, we're like, maybe the videographer will make more money. And Andrew just goes, I remember telling him this dilemma. I was like, we want Carly. She can't do the video. We need a videographer like that. But there's a lot of stuff Carly can do that this videographer obviously can't do. Um, and he remember, I remember him goes like, he's like, look, when you're in a startup like this and you have a vision and you feel like someone's wants to be there and should be there. Um, and the only thing stopping you is money. Um, in my experience, you should just go for it. And so he's like, you know what? We'll find the money. And like what will find the money means is like Andrew and I are going to have to work harder, which was a ridiculous statement at the time because we were working seven days a week, all day, every day to find money. But we found the money. Um, and it was obviously our greatest hire. So you end up go, you, well, a lot of people don't know is Carly Riley built the Yang gang. Um, well, 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 well. I mean, not you know, like, like that's a Zach. I, that's a classic Zachism. Zach speaks in like broad strokes, yes. big, big grand statements, which is a lovely trait. Don't some let of the, time. the truth get in the way of a good story. <laughs> Don't let the truth. Carly. No, no. I mean, I was early in terms of like the the initial Facebook groups, building out the initial handbook that I led mean, to the like Facebook the groups. infrastructure. Yeah, you yeah. Know, you like, know, like phone call, like uh, and we did, did these rallies hours, around the country rallies. that we did not have money to do, yeah. and so we had uh, Yang Gang regional organizers who are all yeah. volunteers. And they, they were amazing. Shout out to y'all. Shout out to I mean, like Christine in Boston. Oh and yeah, Lacey um, in Atlanta. I'm gonna miss people. They're gonna be mad. I will at me, say. Well, here's matter. here's what I'd say um, is like they know the, who they the, are. And they the know the they shout out to the early Yang Gang is that Zach wanted to hire an event planner. This was the only other moment. This is the other moment on the campaign that I was like right over Zach. Zach wanted to hire an event planner to like plan our rallies. And I was like, this is an absurd. No, like we don't have that much money. Don't do this. And I remember like calling you. I remember like I was walking in Manhattan somewhere and calling you. And I was like, between me and the like the the fan base, like the the volunteers we have on the ground, we can make these rallies happen. And you were like, that sounds ridiculous. But if you're telling me it, okay, this is on you. Like, go make I'll it happen. I'm pretty early not to doubt you. And um, you would, it would be so funny. We'd go to a, so you would get to a rally site. The rally would be at like five o'clock, like six o'clock. Whatever. Yeah, whatever time. Um, and you would get there like nine in the morning and like start setting up. And we, <laughs> it, was, it was the summer or depending on where we were, it was usually pretty warm out. Um, we would get there. You know, we I'd would be get like there 30 sweating. minutes before and Carly's just <laughs> dripping in sweat, like just like got her math hat on, like just like frazzled, but like totally in control of what's going on. Like eight people. There's a Bloomberg video that covered you like a year later, essentially. But it's all about that video is like you on a daily basis, just like a million things, like you're juggling all these things. And that's what um, that's what it was like. Um, but it's um, I will say this and then we can move on to other things. Um but on the Yang 2020 campaign, I remember saying to the team over and over, and I think the team hated me for it, or and, and maybe it was somewhat endearing over time, um, literally over time, not at the at the time, was like, guys, don't worry. Our greatest strength is we have no idea what we're doing. Oh God, don't put this in the podcast. <laughs> we should. Because like, I mean that, and like we thought of like, and it's also our greatest weakness. Um, but what it what did it do? It like there was no way we could we we could win running a traditional campaign, and because of the people that wanted to work on it, because we couldn't get people with campaign experience. Like I interviewed campaign managers, people with campaign manager experience and campaign experience, who were like, oh, I will I can't work for you, but I'll help you out sort of thing. But there was no way we could run a traditional campaign 
because we just literally did not know how. Like we just didn't know how to do that. Like you, we've read our books on it, this, but we just never done it. Um, so, you know, from our end, like the example is, well, we need a, we have a big like diehard growing fan base. We should throw rallies. Like formal campaigns have an advance team and you hire, you get endorsers and, and, and get validators and set up the press the right way. We're like, uh, we're planting a flag in San Francisco. Uh, hope people show up. And, you know, Yang rallies thousands in San Francisco was a headline in the San Francisco Chronicle. And I think Yang Mentum was the headline in, in Vanity Fair. It is hilarious to, to knowing now what like traditional campaigns do for rallies and the amount of money they spend on them to think what we were doing and the money we were, I mean, our rally budget was like $10,000 a rally. <laughs> like it, other it campaigns will spend $100,000 yeah, on a rally. It was, less, it was less than that. The first rally. I mean, we all, that was like our, that was our upper end budget. I mean, we yeah. didn't always hit that, but uh, you know, in yeah. the early days it was, you know, a thousand bucks. This podcast is sponsored by ExpressVPN. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that. Private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched, or tweeted. Now imagine all that data being crawled through, collected, and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online... I turn to ExpressVPN. Do you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell our data? The worst part is you don't know what they're doing. You don't get to have your say. That's why I use ExpressVPN. Just hit one button and then your internet connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server. No one can see your IP address. You're completely in your own private internet. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it harder for third parties to track me and harvest my data. No matter what device you're on, you just hit one button and you get your own protected connection. So if like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com yang and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S VPN dot com slash Yang. Go to expressvpn.com slash Yang to learn more. Okay, I want to talk about something um, a bit in the future. So Carly has been diving into NFTs and we did an NFT episode um, with the founder of OpenSea. You did a founder of OpenSea episode? Like, keep up, okay? Oh, God, I can't believe I didn't know that. Keep up, okay? We are on the cutting edge. Devin is great. Um, Oh, God, I really want to listen to that. That's awesome. I I have a lot of respect for Devin. I have a huge amount of respect for anyone who builds anything. Like, uh, that is my, uh, for me, my background, having built a nonprofit and his campaign and a team actually on Wall Street built something and then Humanity Forward. It is hard to build anything. Um, And frankly, in many ways, the government will make it more difficult, not less difficult. So, you know, that's like the libertarian conservative in me in in some ways. Um, So, um, 
Building things are hard, respect Devin, but we talked a lot about like his marketplace for NFTs and where that's going. But what we didn't talk about um, is what, really how this, how non-fungible tokens, if you didn't hear that episode, it's a great episode. Um, yeah, change I, I wanna listen the, to it. <laughs> change the game. Um, yeah. And what they can look like from a human, that we, we touched on this, but we didn't go deep enough. And I want, and you have been going deep into this. Like Carly down a rabbit hole is my favorite Carly. I've spent like, hours upon hours in the last like two weeks on the phone with banks and a whole bunch of other bullshit, all because I wanted to buy a what? A gift goat. Carly <laughs> wants to spend. Don't tell, don't tell. I'm not gonna give you a number. You can Google this number if you want to, but let's just say a substantial portion of our collective net worth, which is not a lot. Um, I know it's a lot relative to yeah. I'm very, I'm very blessed that I'm a born in America and, and have a job and I'm educated. But I'm not rich. Asterisk privilege a, caveat yes, here. Cool. But I'm not a rich guy. You know, I made some money on Wall Street and I spent it all on oh, Sally Mae. And it's okay. Just like there, okay. But we want to spend the little we have on a gift goat. Carly, tell me about. Tell us the audience here, what is a gift goat? And yeah. back up all the way. Like, the I, I think I'm a what good, <laughs> I'm a good voice. This is a good story for people who maybe like still aren't sold on the concept of NFTs because I'm not coming at this from like a super insider, like, you know, developing on Ethereum blockchain, love open sea kind of a perspective. I'm like very much a lay person. And I'm a lay person who doesn't even understand like physical art like you know i think uh, the 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 context here is if you've heard of nfts a little bit what you've probably know about them right is that like they're a collectible item or they're sort of like digital art that people buy and trade and sell and try and make money off of much like people do art in the in the call it real world um that has always been a little bit less interesting to me as somebody who's not interested even in art in the real world and has no capacity to gauge like the value of something. Like I never would have been able to tell you that Beeple was going to sell for $69 million. Like that's just, I, I, and I never will be able to. So I'm much more interested in the ways that NFTs can be leveraged um, to, to create like what I would call very real value. And this is where the gift goat comes in. So <clears throat> Gary Vaynerchuk, uh, some of you might be familiar with. Gary V. Gary V, as he's known on the interwebs, it has very, launched- For those who don't know him, very popular entrepreneur, yeah. very popular influencer. He's great. He's probably yeah. a pioneered influencer, if you will. Um, yeah, yeah. He was very anyway. early on the internet, started like a YouTube yes. channel about wine when he very was a smart wine guy, shop. Very smart guy, very rich guy, great builder, yeah. great marketer. Keep going. Correct. So he's launched an NFT project uh, that I got pretty excited about because the premise was that every token, so every one of his NFTs that he was releasing- serves as a ticket to a conference he's going to put on for the next three years called VCon. And so the idea was if you buy this token, that, that token gives you access to the conference for the next three years. So already, right, you can start to kind of price things out. Like, okay, what is a really good conference typically cost? A multi-day conference. What does that cost? If you go to Milken, it's like 10K. That's like the big rich Aspen. Yeah, and then I don't even know what that is. Probably if you want to if you want to take it down from there, like a Tony Robbins, like three day thing, who's like also kind of a motivational speaker type, like you're looking at a couple thousand bucks. You can start to get a sense of like what one of these conferences typically costs. And then bearing in mind that you'll have this for three years and you can start to be like, oh, wow, like this token is, you know, I should likely make money on this if it's under a certain amount. 
So what Gary Vee was promising was like a multi-day conference over the course of three years that's going to be fucking badass. Like he was like, this conference is going to be sick. I'm pulling in all of my like all of my connections to make this the biggest, baddest like Davos meets freaking what's the music festival. Meet the young, cool, upcoming like influencers and whatever. So I was like, cool, already I can start to value this project in a way that I can't regular art. Um, and, and Gary's been big on this and I totally buy this. He was like, this is a proper NFT project. Like this is how you can build you build a real community around this as opposed to like just trying to quick cash in on like a what's hot now thing where like other kind of creators who have communities, you know, I think have put out NFT projects that were like kind of make a quick buck, but didn't really put a lot of thought into how do you build a real community out of this? So, and so, you know, he's got like a discord channel set up, which is like full of people like just excited about this conference, like excited about this project. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. A chat group. This brings us to the gift code. So I, I bought two tokens. So I now have two tickets to VCon at like the lowest basement price. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. What, what are these what are these tokens called oh my happy hermit crab and my sufficient shrimp yep so you spend some money you bought a happy hermit crab and a sufficient shrimp <laughs> i spent um, thousands of dollars on a happy these, hermit crab these, and a sufficient shrimp tokens gary v <laughs> not an artist again entrepreneur builder marketer drew sketched himself so they look and he will say this and i like gary v i'm not trying to knock him but they look ridiculous they look yeah. like i drew a pig or a hermit crab in this case a shrimp on the back okay. of a napkin. There is a, I will defend this though. There is a style to them. Okay, that's fair. He's consistent with his style. Yes. By the way, you bought a happy hermit crab with some- I, I bought ether. a happy hermit crab with ETH. Uh, for anybody crab. who's curious, you pay you pay ether for this stuff um, because these tokens are on the Ethereum blockchain. Okay, so this brings us- So as, I'm, as I've, I've bought my first two tokens, I'm in this Discord channel and I'm getting like more and more excited about this project in general. And um, so here's the premise behind the gift code. So, so I should say, so all of these tokens get you access to this conference, but then there are other- there are different groups of tokens that also do other things on top of getting you access to the conference. And that ranges from like one-on-one time with him in various ways. You could have them on your podcast, et cetera. Those are obviously much more expensive tokens. And these tokens you can resell. They can change in value. Correct. This is, I think, the brilliance of his doing each of these tokens basically gets you something for three years. The really cool thing about that is you could basically reap the reward for a year and then resell and you know, recoup all, hopefully, even more of your initial investment in it, and still have also gotten whatever the the initial the benefit was, to right, it yeah. was. Correct. So, so the gift goat. Here we go. The big, the big reveal. The premise behind the gift goat is that at a minimum of six times a year for the next three years, Gary Vee and his team are going to curate gifts, at least six, that will be sent, you know, at random to your home at like random times. So it's this very fun sort of like Christmas for adults premise. But it comes with six gifts a year. Yes. So this embedded in the smart contract, right? People probably know that term, like which is what underpins these NFTs, is the fact that if you own, if you're an owner of this token, you get at least six gifts a year randomly from Gary Vee. I am very convinced these gifts are going to be sick. Like I think he's going to give a car. And so to me, you were looking he's at, you know, a lot of cool stuff. He's implied a lot of cool in stuff. So not only will this NFT hopefully have really good resale value as people start to understand it and are like, oh shit, like you just get like six gifts randomly delivered to your house. That's awesome. The gifts themselves, if you don't want them, should likely have really good resale value. So the opportunity to like make money off this thing just felt high. Now, I don't know how much we want to get into. We, we, I will say this. We do not have a gift code. <laughs> I don't we know if it's worth getting code. into the cough code. No, the, it the... is get worth getting into this. So, 
So Carly sells me on this gift coat thing because I was like, all right, you know, this is a cool way to invest in crypto and get like, I saw it as investment, like my old school, like wealth management situation, like mindset was like, okay, you gotta buy a bunch of crypto to buy this gift coat. Um, the thing has value for three years. So it's a way to invest in crypto. If, if you know, you're still exposed to crypto that way, but then you're essentially getting a dividend on top of it, the dividend being like, a gift six times a year. And theoretically, these gifts could be awesome. So you could resell them yourself. You could keep them yourself if they're great. You also get access to the conference you're talking about. But we couldn't get it because in order to, I don't know, basically you have to- Are you gonna try and explain this? I'm this going is gonna to be fun. This, and it's gonna be fun to hear Zach try to explain this. So in order to buy cryptocurrency, there are, is it, you can do it through both two, the two ways, right, Carly? Or you can only do one and you have to convert to the other one. You I'll can do it a lot out. of ways. Okay. The main way is you go to Coinbase, you make a Coinbase account, you transfer money in from your regular bank into Coinbase. And then after a certain period of time, there's usually a lockup period. Um, and depending how you get that money in, the lockup period changes, and then you can spend it. And basically, there was a basically a run on these gift coats. We had money in Coinbase. We bought ETH, Ethereum, we bought Ether, because that's how we do, that's how you get a gift goat. But the money was locked up in Coinbase because I don't know why, but it takes a number of days to validate. So we couldn't actually, we had our money, our money was gone, but we didn't have the Ethereum, so we never got a gift goat. And Carl and I have been yelling at each other probably for five days in a row. <laughs> Look, if I actually explain this to people, I'm going to, you are going to lose all of your subscribers because it's going to be very boring. That is a fine description. The, the only caveat I want to give, Gary, if you're listening, is that this wasn't just a simple case of like, oh, it was locked up for a couple of days the way it normally is. Because if that were the situation, I would have, we would have gotten a gift goat. This was like a whole other level of shenanigans because look, crypto is nascent. It's the wild west. But like, this was not... This was not like the normal hold period. It ended up being held up for eight days for reasons that it it doesn't matter. It should not have been. So we missed a gift goat because we didn't of get the gift goat. And we're, so we're Gary, if, you know, it. if you want to um, <laughs> throw me one, the, I really tried. I, it is actually crazy. I like it is crazy the state. I mean, we we ended up borrowing ETH from to somebody try to try hot. and get this thing. It, it was. I have done. I've spent hours trying to get this damn. So, gift goat, so. here's where we're at. Um, I'm gonna throw this out to the Yang Gang if you want to. Um, if anyone wants to go, anyone has like a couple ETH and wants to go in on a gift goat with us, you DM me on Instagram or Twitter or DM Carly. She's way better about responding to that stuff anyway. Um, we're open, gift goat. Wait, that's hilarious to me that you're saying this, Zach. After everything we've been through this week, that you're I've, reopening well, this really, can of worms. I've been very turned off by the gift goat saga and it's fine, but if you're game, you know, still opening it. I, I think it, he's making a bet that NFTs and the wallets that you keep an NFT in are going to be almost like the future social media where like we all go and check each other's wallets. I see an element to that vision that could be true. So what I want to get to here is I, I love Carly takes, if you will. Um, so 
let's talk about some Carly takes. Um, and I want to just like Carly's perspective on what the hell's going on. And so um, there's your gift goat take. She says it's going to be hot. If you want to get in on it, do it yourself. Or if you really want to be awesome, hit me up. Uh, hurry, Carly. There is yeah. a price at which it's awesome and a price at which it's not. That's what I want to be careful about. The prices we were trying to get it at yes. were awesome. So uh, you know, yeah, we have to think state. if they're still awesome now. So, um, but the other thing that's gotten Carly all fired up is a Chinese social media app called Pinduoduo. Is that how you, that's probably not how you say it in actual Mandarin. In like Mandarin. It, they they, they um, tend to be like Pinduoduo. Like it, they kind of do it really fast at the end, but I don't know. Okay. I don't speak Mandarin. I don't understand. So. Um, I'm very, it's P-I-N-D-U-O-D-U-O. Um, so I'm the wrong person there. But tell me about this app and why it's taking over the world. Going yeah, to take well, over the world. Okay. I think, I think it's, I, I recently learned about this. <clears throat> and again, it, it's connected to me actually to the NFT conversation because it's all about social commerce, right? So this blending of our social media lives and our shopping lives, essentially, or our spending and buying lives. And China is eating our effing lunch. And this is just another example of On that. On this so or in life? In life. And this okay, is, this is, a, this. This is okay. a microcosm example of why, in my opinion. So let's, I'll start with like the two elements of this that I think are cool. So essentially, this is an app. It started off as like, almost like an agriculture buying platform. So you bought food and like fruit and things like that, as opposed to just a general commerce app, but they've expanded now to be in like a whole bunch of different goods, but they, they have this concept called team buying. So when you go on the Pinduoduo app, you see both an individual price and then a team price. And the team price is lower. Basically, if you're going to buy in bulk, right, you can get it for a cheaper price. So you either then can join an existing team, like a, an existing group of people that want that, that thing, or you can start your own team and like text all of your friends and be like, yo, you want to go in on a bunch of peaches this week with me or a bunch of vacuum cleaners or whatever the hell you're doing. Like this is a cool product. And if they're like, yeah, you all hop in and now you all get a discount on this good. So, but, but they're tracking all of this data obviously. And so they're starting to be able to map social relationships. They're mapping who has more influence. They're saying like, oh, wow, when this person sends their friends, like something in the, you know, clothing, like clothing related, everybody clicks on it. A bunch of people buy. This person has a lot of influence in clothing. And so now the, now the clothing people, instead of like going for just the famous influencers we know, they can say, okay, this person has like micro weight within their friend group and within their social circle we'll target them with our ads. It'll be a little bit more expensive to target them because they'll share with their friends. And they do it by segment. So they say, this person's influential in clothing. This person's Mm -hmm. influential in food. And there's probably an algorithm that's showing it on real time when people are, oh, wow. So it goes, it speaks to how much data, Andrew talks about this. AI is like, gets better and is like eats data. And so the more data you can feed it, yes, Yes. the more data you can feed it, the more it grows, the stronger it gets, et cetera. And this is just another area where China is getting so much freaking data that's really interesting and social mapping their entire country. Um, and, you know, look, I, there's drawbacks too. I'm not, I'm not excited about this because I'm like, oh, this is awesome. All this data about us is forever going to be available. But um, it is really interesting. The second component to this app, that's like the social component, the social commerce component to it, is the gamified component. So within this app is a game. It's called like Orchard, the Pinduoduo Orchard. And you like tend to this garden, you tend, you like grow your fruit. It's like, you know, whatever, one of these kinds of games. But at certain levels, you get then free deliveries. They'll just send you a free box of fruit. So you actually win real prizes off of the app 
from playing this game. So like, you know, it just, it consolidates like everything you want to do in a place where you also shop. So they just are, are, you know, they're giving you every incentive to shop and spend more money. And it's, it's fascinating. I mean, the, the advantage, I'll say the one advantage that China has over a place like the United States, well, there's many, but on something like this is they subsidize shipping. So this is where you can have members of a team from all over the country and you can still get this discounted rate and they can ship it. You know, government to, to subsidize people. shipping for all their countries. Yeah. I, I, it's something like that. For some reason, shipping for them is, is, a, is a lot Got cheaper it. than it is for us here. It's actually, there's something kind of archaic about the fact that, yeah, Instagram shows us a lot of ads about things we want to buy, but you click that ad, you get taken off of the Instagram app onto another website. And that we're going to see that start to go away. Uh, this is my prediction is like, you're going to see commerce be more directly integrated into these social media apps more and more where you're buying directly from that social media platform. You're not clicking something and being taken to another site and like kind of moving you out of whatever you're in. It's going to become all one experience. Do we know if this is going to come to the United States? Um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I will tell you, this is a fun thing. Guess how many users they, they, they started in 2015. Guess how many users they have? 700 million. Wow. Very good. 788 million. Oh, look at me. Look at that. <laughs> that was impressive. Wow. But damn, that's a, that's a lot. That's, I mean, more than the, you know, like more than double the population of the United States use this app. Oh, and I think that's weekly users or monthly users. Like that's regular active users is like 700 plus million people. Craziest book I've read on the future of China and AI is called AI Superpowers by uh, Kai-Fu Lee. And he said a couple of things. So one of the things is um, China is, is better situated for mobile payments um, than the United States is. And mobile payments are so, so valuable for AI and for data gathering because let's say I'm just going to Chipotle and I bought something. If I do it with a credit card, there's only so much info. But if I do it with my phone, they know all the data that's on my phone, my shopping habits, my actual geo-targeted location, my gender, zip code, income, you know, all those things, right? And so there's just more data around what you're purchasing. So they can tie the purchase to who you are and your, and your buying habits and things like that. And so the United States, we went from cash to credit cards very easily. That's a relative, that's an awesome jump, right? Like it's like, okay, instead of carrying all these bills and coins and crap, like having a credit card, way easier. That's awesome. Um, going from credit card to your phone in the United States, like it's a bit costly to change. Like you have to like put your phone on, if put your credit card in the phone, like you guys have used Apple Pay or other things, right? And what's the real benefit? You're probably still carrying a wallet. Um, it's not that much better than carrying a credit card. It's slightly better and there's a bit, a bit of a cost. So like it's, it's slowly adopting here in the United States. China had never really gotten to credit cards. They were still in cash. So the difference between cash and WeChat is massive. So instead of using cash, they can put their bank account on WeChat. And so they've gone to mobile payment fast. And that is the big difference in terms of how much data they're getting in AI. Um, and the second thing that blew me my, my mind in that book is this concept that um, Kai-Fu Lee flipped on its head. I love your thoughts on this. They flip, he flipped on its head the concept of American hustle today in, in 2020 when he wrote it or 2021 today. Not um, as in the movie starring Jennifer Lawrence? 
She was in a movie called Hustle. American Hustle. Oh, she's in that? I thought that was Bradley Cooper was the star. And Bradley Cooper and Jennifer well, Lawrence. I'm How a show sexist finished. of you. I'm an asshole. Yes. Um, <sighs> I forgot she was in that. Yeah, I'll see you. I, 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 I love J-Law. I just think of other movies when I think of her. Um, she and Bradley Cooper did like three in a row together. That was one of them. Anyways, continue. You think they dated? That was always the rumor. I think he was in love with her. The, the like word on the street Everyone's is he was her. in love with her and she rejected him. Ah, uh, good for her. So Kai-Fu Lee said this. He basically put this notion that American entrepreneurs or this American hustle where like we work harder. We've got that American spirit. Like we're going to kick ass the cowboy mentality, like work, work, work. We're gonna have American ingenuity. People go, it's like, so he's like, you think you work hard in the United States? Like you guys have all like in these big startups we have at Facebooks or Googles, you have like, you know, like nap rooms and all these cushy snacks and like wonderful work, like balances. You're talking about three day weekends, which I, you know, we've been a proponent of all these things. He's like, in China, like you started a company like a Facebook or any sort of startup in China, you're sleeping on the floor of the office, making no money and working all day, every day. You're sleeping on okay, the floor. Okay, let's months. be very clear. That was what happened at Google and Facebook in the early days. Like you do, like the early Google guys talk a lot about sleeping but on the like, floor. But he's like, this is more not, ingrained in a talking. culture as opposed to America. There's like an exception where there's like, yes, people still do this in the United States, but this is like everybody in the US, in, in China. Like this is the DNA. And what he said, which is even deeper than that point, because that point you can debate back and forth. But he's like, in the United States, when we have a minimum viable product, we have a product people like that's growing. We declare victory. When you create Facebook, we're like, Facebook's awesome. Zuckerberg on the cover of Forbes magazine or whatever you want, victory. We have it, yay America, yay Mark, yay people investing in that great company. Declare victory. In China, when you have a minimum viable product, they declare war. And he's like, the, and that's the IP, IP laws, law, right? For sure. Yeah. And they just start trying stealing each other until, and the, the reality, the, what he argues in the book is at the end of this war, the company that comes out of it, because people are just stealing each other's ideas and fake. And like, so someone make, the example would be like, someone make Facebook.com, someone would make Facebook.co or a typo that's like Facebook with two Ks or whatever it is.com. And the website looks exactly the same. Get all the information, make a competitor immediately. Um, and so, but the companies that come out of this war have a bigger moat around their business to make them in some ways unbeatable because they've like, they've, they've had like legit street fights to, to exist. Um, so it was fascinating. I mean, look, you blew my mind. And then he talks more about AI, but like talking about the culture of China and how they're going to win the AI super war arms race, if you will, um, mind blowing. And this is another yeah, so let me I'll say 100 percent. I absolutely think they're going to win the AI arms race and it's they're they're going to become the superpower because of it. I will say it's interesting because I had read a book many years ago called Tiger Woman on Wall Street about this this woman from, I think, Shanghai ended up going to Middlebury, ended up getting to Wall Street, um, going going into Wall, you know, going onto Wall Street, whatever, getting a finance job. Um, and she painted the lack of IP law and the lack of infrastructure around IP law in China as actually something that was going to keep it from being able to dominate the United States. This, you know, this was all an analysis sort of in absence of AI. This was many years ago. But her argument was, look, there's no incentive to be like to innovate essentially in China, because the second you sink a lot of money into R&D, like research and development, and you build a great product, 
Somebody's going to come along, reverse engineer it, steal your idea. So why would you even bo- why either, bother? Investing? Why would you bother right, innovating that. to begin with? So that's why I think we it's a it's a double edged sword. You know, I read this book probably. I mean, I don't know how long ago now, probably a decade ago. And I, I do think some of it has remained true. But I think that this additional point of like, okay, but no, it's actually meant that like the people who survive or the companies that survive are like mega companies. I think clearly that's borne out too. And, and that was that was not something I was thinking about. We don't need this endless human suffering of toiling the the fields, if you will, or just like we're all yeah. work, 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 work. And I, I always thought Switzerland had it right where they like get one or two big cash cows of new inventions and new companies that come out of there. But they also have a great social safety net and people are generally content and happy. Now it's easier to run a country of how big is Switzerland. And like that's someone who's, you know, you could argue is a workaholic saying this. Um, but I, I, you know, I do think it's... Um, Work, money, success, they don't correlate to happiness really at all at a certain point. Um, so it's its an interesting talk about human experience. But I love Carly's take, pin to a duo. Keep your eye out for that kind of general premise. The way you've described this, I want this app. I want to play Farmville and <laughs> get free yeah. discounted or I want to get discounted stuff. Maybe Instacart yeah. will get into this. That'd be great. I want to talk about news of the day with you. I thought the one that was interesting, I have two topics for you. One is Congress right now has look to as approved um, the creation of a commission on the January 6th uh, riots. There are some um, on the right that don't want to do this, that don't want to explore this. And I see your eye roll. My question is, it's more of an existential question, is like what has happened to the United States um, where we think a certain percentage of the country is okay with insurrection at our capital. Um, what we're talking about, you know, the, the, frankly, and some of that's coming from the right, which is historically, at least in recent decades, the, the National Security Party. Um, uh, what, what do you think has happened where it is okay for this type of spitting in the face of the flag um, and the American history that way has become okay? Um, is it a scarcity thing? Is it a... Um, social media brainwashing thing is it they feel like they're being actual patriots because they don't like the way things are going what do you think yeah i think that they believe that the election was stolen and if we reached a point in this country where elections were clearly completely fraudulent and we couldn't trust the democratic like we couldn't trust in our democracy that would justify an overthrow arguably it would justify something massive and so i think this goes to the to the in Tim Alberta's article about Nikki Haley, he asks her a couple times, like, hey, in your conversations with Trump in the aftermath of the insurrection, which Nikki Haley spoke out against vehemently publicly, did you, Nikki Haley, push Trump about like changing his stance, right? And saying, like, stop, you need to condemn this. You need to say that the election results were real. And Nikki said, you know, she did, I guess, a little bit, but then at the end of the day, like, Trump genuinely believes that the election was stolen from him. So like, what is the point? Um, And I get that logic. Like, I know a lot of people hate that, but like, yeah, he's going to believe that these people who stormed the Capitol genuinely believe that. I mean, I think it's abhorrent that so many elected officials and Republicans are willing to just like let that go. Cause I think many of them don't believe it, but just don't want the blowback on their party. Um, So I I think honestly, all the things you cited, right, social media, et cetera, have all played into this for sure. The sense of growing distrust in our institutions, et cetera, et cetera. Um, 
but to, to say like, how have people become okay with this? I think it's because they saw it, they genuinely believe that the election was stolen. And so that justifies, you know. On one hand, it's awesome. On one hand, it's, it's really sad that I keep going back to Andrew's book on the war on normal people, where he talked a lot about, like he made a lot of predict- predictions of where things are going and the mindset of scarcity where what's yours is yours, mine is mine, Mad Max style, instead of a mindset of abundance where there's enough for everybody to go around. That, um, I think that fuels a lot of of this, of the hatred. And I, um, I it's not just the, so January 6th is one, but I, I think you're seeing it in other ways. So you have the NBA playoffs are going on. Um, and there's a couple, and there were two instances, three actually. Um, so there was one where uh, Kevin Durant on the Nets and, um, I can't remember the name of a player on the Celtics were like literally um, and Kyrie Irving got into this too. They're literally like shouting like really nasty things to each other on the court. Uh, the other night, Russell Westbrook got popcorn. One of the players got popcorn dumped on him by a fan as he was exiting the court. A Knicks player, I believe got spit or uh, someone spit at, on a player at, at a Knicks game. Um, and when I saw these stories and, and to be honest, I haven't like, deeply follow them. I've seen the, the headlines and, and seen them come across on, on ESPN, frankly. Um, but it's frustrating to see the level of hate we have in our hearts as a society, the fan base. We're getting rabid. We are getting angrier and angrier. Um, and that was our hope with UBI, frankly. Well, and of course, there's, a, I think, a, a, um, a racialized component of it when you talk about like a zero sum, what's yours is like, what's mine is mine. There's not enough to go around, I think. Um, to some extent, both parties, and but I would say far more the Republican Party has uh, very intentionally tried to like race bait to to like give it even more heat. Like it's not just like you know it's like you know that other race is taking this from you, or like that other race is going to win and therefore you are going to lose. And I think that is heartbreaking, and it's been done through all of fucking American history and all of history Global in general. History. We were doing this. It, yeah. We were doing this with a nat whatever rebellion, like, you know, like it, it was like, oh, like, you know, poor whites, instead of being mad at the rich people who are taking things from you, get mad at the black people um, or get mad at the slaves. So um, in any case, I, uh, I think it's, it's just tragic. And I'll say we should absolutely have an investigation into what happened on January 6th. The fact that we haven't already to me is just I don't know enough about this or, or how this process came about, but like, are you out of your effing mind? Yeah, there should be an investigation. I absolutely think that there were senior members of the Republican Party who um, were probably, you know, aware of what was going on in advance because these people had weirdly inner knowledge of the layout of the Capitol building inside. And I just, I think it's a point. Who knows? I, I do. I'm a big fan of um, commissions investigating any, you know, when major things happens, we got, we, we need to figure out what happened. Um, so last question for you, Carl, as we wrap this thing is what, um, what's on your mind the next coming weeks, summer starts, um, uh, things you're focused on. Uh, I just look for you for your, for future trends, things are, things you think are going to pop, things are going to be problematic, things are going to be exciting. It could be anything from fun to political to serious to whatever you, what are you ever thinking? What's on your mind? Oh, this is a fun question. Not to be a broken record, but because I do get, as you know, as you said, sort of down these rabbit holes, I'm, I'm looking at sort of other interesting things in the call it like crypto ish space. Look, I, I, you know, I don't know if we're at the tail end of a bubble, if we're just about to hit a new wave of um, 
of a bull, of a you know kind of bull market. I, I don't I don't have a prediction there. I don't know. Um, but I am thinking long term about this stuff. I think I've been looking at this this crypto uh, called Algorand, which is like an alternative. It's sort of like an alternative to Ethereum in the way that it's structured. It's fascinating. Like conceptually, this thing will blow your mind um, in terms of the way it you know, seems to improve upon the governance structure of Ethereum, which I know this is like nerdy for folks who maybe aren't as into the crypto stuff. But so I'm reading a bunch about that. I want to continue to do that. I just listened to an interview with the um, the founder of Algorand on Lex Friedman's podcast. Um, and there's another one called Cardano that, you know, I, I uh, had gotten recommended to me. Somebody told me to look into it. And then like many months later, I was like, oh, by the way, now I'm looking into it. So reading about that. So I would say those are the two that I'm sort of investigating in the in the c- couple weeks to come. I wish I had like a more fun answer. Like, I don't know, just like party and no, that's well, it's whatever. Funny. My, Bullshit. Um, when you say that, my, I'm, I'm interested in how we all get vaccinated or don't get vaccinated. Apparently some people are not. I'm curious. I'm fascinated about the NFL season because I think a lot of players are... Many are getting back, but some are not. I think it's fascinating. And you have the Olympics coming up too um, this summer. Uh, athletes are different. Like, I think they should, um, I don't think they should be held to a standard where they have to be this like spokesperson politically on the vaccine. I don't think that's fair. Like if you're an athlete, like what goes in, what goes in Michael Phelps's body should be very, and is very different than what goes in my body. I'm not an Olympic athlete. That will be a heated up discussion, I think. Um, well, so if they don't get vaccinated though, or if there's players that aren't getting vaccinated, then they just have to go into like a bubble system again, like they did last year. Right. And unlike if it should these um, organizations- Should the, pe- like the players NFL who are willing to committee? get vaccinated have to deal with a bubble situation? Or should they make, are they allowed to make rules like you can't compete unless you're vaccinated? And if they do, right. I mean, I guess they could make that rule. Is that fair? I'm not sure it I is. I think that's um, fair. I think so. I don't know. Like if I, I'm, I'm vaccinated, I think people should get vaccinated. Um, but it, uh, I think athletes are different and it's fair for an athlete to be like, um, I'm not comfortable with this and I will stay away and wear a mask. But the science, there's, there's not science to back up that that idea that somehow this would be like, if like what, what's an example of something that's happened to somebody who's taken a vaccine that would be, is fine for you or I, but would be a problem for an athlete. So like, I think it's just not borne out that like there's- the random horror stories, which I don't know if are true or not, but the biggest one is you don't know the long-term effects because we can't physically. Now I'm not saying, I want to be very clear, maybe because like I'm pro vaccine, I think we should do it. But if I'm an athlete, I'm like, what I do is, is control what goes in my body. Um, no, so. yeah, I think they should be mandated to- to take the vaccines if they want. There you go. I, I don't think there's enough, like there's enough, any evidence here. I feel like that's just a, I, I don't think that because they're an athlete, it's like they have to yeah. worry more. And let's be clear, so that's my, that's record, my initial get freaking reaction. vaccinated. Come on yeah, guys, of course. let's go. Um, <laughs> of course. But uh, um, that's my, my prediction is that you have these debates. Yeah, and I'm yeah, saying yeah. that stuff to take the other side because um, I think you're going to see it a lot from rational yeah. people, not just the far right um, or the far left. Um, okay, Carly Riley, the OG, um, the wonderful, brilliant, um, and wizard of the oh future. Fu- future <laughs> I don't know. Wizard. I, I don't think know it's a dangerous, but dangerous reputation to Thank you for letting us pick your brain here on Yang Speaks in the future. Thank you. Of. We will talk soon. Sounds good. Thanks so much. <laughs>